This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland. With me tonight, the nearly ever-present Glenn Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? I am mostly here. <laughs> That's how, the way we like you. Obviously, Matt could not be with us tonight, so it's just going to be me and Glenn running things. Uh, Matt will be back for your next show. Uh, before we jump right into the show we have an announcement to make that we're pretty excited about here we've come up with a t-shirt design for the show a two-tone uncensored shirt if you're listening to the show right now it's going to be up on our facebook and our twitter so you can go check out the design we're pretty happy with it it came out really nice really clean looking you know i'm definitely excited to have mine we're going to be selling them to everybody this is going to be the first wave of pre-ordering for the shirt we can do kids' sizes, men's sizes, women's sizes. Uh, one thing we would like to note for all of our female listeners, the women's sizes do tend to run small. So we recommend getting a size above what you normally get. It's just something that like our manufacturer let us know to let all of the women that order know those sizes normally run a little small. This is going to be the first wave of pre-ordering, so we're going to wait until we have 50 orders or close to 50 orders before we actually put in all of the orders for this round but since people might have to wait a little longer to get their shirt this will be the cheapest the shirt will ever be we knocked off a few bucks off of what we originally set the price just so it would be a little bit cheaper for the hassle of you might have to wait a little bit longer for this round so if you order in the pre-order first round it'll be the cheapest you ever get likely after that the shirt's going to go up a little bit in price, a couple of dollars, not anything huge, but it'll be you know, a small discount here just to say sorry that this is going to be a little slower process when we start it, and then it'll get faster but also get a little bit more expensive. So if you're interested in ordering, it's going to be $16 for men's and women's sizes, $15 for kids' sizes for the normal shirt. You'll see the design. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. Check it out. If you want to get it personalized, get your name on the back, get a number on the back, it's going to be a little extra. It's $24 for men's and women's sizes, $23 for kids' sizes to get it personalized. We can do any two-digit or single-digit number, and we can put any name on the back. It can be a nickname, your last name, whatever you want it to be on the back to personalize. It's just a little bit extra. So it's $23 and $24 for the personalized shirt, $15 and $16 for just the regular shirt. The order process is a two-step process. This is a little complicated, but it's not that bad. First, PayPal the money for the shirt or shirts. There's no limit to order. You can order as many of them as you want. Prepay the money to uh, twotoneuncensored at gmail.com on PayPal. So we're going to be running all of the orders through through PayPal. All of the, the money is going to go through there. So if you don't have one, they're really easy to set up. It takes like a minute to set it up. After you've made the payment on PayPal, 
go ahead and email us at twotoneorders at gmail.com. The email should include your name, your shipping address, what sizes you want your shirt or shirts, and if you ordered a personalized shirt, what you want the name and number to be on that shirt or the shirts that you have. Also, if you're emailing us from a different email than you used for PayPal, we need to know what email you used for PayPal. So also include that if it's a different email than the one you used for PayPal. That way we know that you actually paid for the shirt and everything can be easy and clear for us on our end. Since this is the first wave of pre-ordering, we're going to wait until we get about 50 orders in before we actually send out the shirts to be made. This means that you might have to wait a week longer than expected in order to get your shirt, but we're doing this for a good reason. The reason being, this keeps the price point low. It also eliminates shipping costs for us, meaning we can get the shirt out for a much cheaper price point. We'd rather do it this way. That way you guys don't have to spend an outrageous amount to get a t-shirt, but a more reasonable amount. Basically, doing it this way makes it cheaper for us, so we can make it cheaper for you. Also, because of this inconvenience on the first order, this is going to be the cheapest these shirts will ever be. Like I mentioned earlier, it's not going to be $16 and $24 in the future. It's likely going to go up from there. We knocked a few dollars off this time. And we did this as our way of saying sorry because it might take a little bit longer to get to you. Once the shirts go out to order and are sent to us, it'll take about two days to get to you, uh, depending on where you live in the country. So it's going to be pretty quick after we go, and we'll be sending out frequent updates to those who have made orders. So again, PayPal, twotoneuncensored at gmail.com. Once you do that, send all of your information, your name, your shipping address, the sizes that you want, your personalized information if you ordered a personalized shirt, and uh, remember to use the email that you used for PayPal or let me know what email you used for PayPal. Send all of that to twotoneorders with an S at gmail.com. And if you didn't get all of the information here, it's going to be on our site, so check it out on Podbean. It will be on all of our social media, so it'll be easy to find. So don't fret if you didn't have it all written down or don't have it all here. It'll be simple to find. We'll make sure that information is out there so everybody can get a shirt if they want one. Check out the design. It's really cool. We're really excited about it. I know Matt and Glenn both excited about it as well. We worked hard on this, trying to get the design exactly how we wanted. We went through like... 15 different redesigns but we finally got the exact shirt that we wanted we're really excited about it and we're really excited to be able to get it out there get our name out there and get some really cool t-shirts for you guys definitely come check them out you'll like them like as i said earlier if you're listening to this they're already on facebook and twitter there'll be more information there if you want to look at it all the information i said will be right there so let's start with the mailbag first question here glenn peter dipala asks over or under, is nine wins enough to take the AFC South? I think it's going to be over. I think you're going to have to win 10 this year. I, I think the uh, other teams got good enough as far as improving themselves that you're going to have to pull out a full 10 wins in order to take this uh, division. I 100% agree. I'm going to say over as well. The things I'm looking at, every team, like we said last week, every team in this division got better. I, I do think the Texans will regress, like I said last week, but I think the Jags, Colts, and Titans are all going to have better records than they did last year. Another thing, too, is last year we played an NFC division that had two playoff teams in it, the Lions and the Packers. Well, we fared pretty good against those two teams, but they're, they're tough teams. This 
go around, we're taking the NFC West on. You know, the Cardinals were definitely uh, a head scratcher last year. Seattle, always a good team. The last handful of years have been a perennial powerhouse in the NFC. You know, but then you have the 49ers who are just uh, a dumpster fire right now. And then the Rams who haven't been that good. So it's we're going, I think, into an easier division NFC, easier competition. So the schedules will be a little bit more uh, easy for us to go through. So I also think that that's going to boost a couple wins onto these teams' records. So I think it's going to take over nine wins. I think I really think the second place team is probably going to have nine wins in AFC South. I do, I do too. I think it's just, it's going to come down to that last game of the season, uh, the the Jaguars Titans game at Nashville will probably be the game that decides the division this year. Just you know, I don't expect it to necessarily be Jacksonville that we're going up against, but. We're going to have to win that game to win the division, I think. That very well could be. Always exciting when it comes down to the end. A few different people asked this question, so I, I mashed all their questions together, kind of made one question out of it. So how many games do we have to lose next season in order for Mike Malarkey to lose his job? I think in order for Mike to lose his job, we gotta. it's, it's got to be bad. Just you know, the, the team obviously doesn't believe in anything he's doing. And nothing happens. You know, I, I think people are probably thinking, you know, seven, eight wins we lose. you got to remember last year, that nine wins, I don't think anybody outside of Mike Mularkey and just a few other people thought we could get that far. Nine wins should be plenty. I think seven or eight, we're still okay because we're on track. We're building the roster. If, we, if we're at seven or eight, I'm kind of disappointed, and I understand where people are coming from with that, but I wouldn't blame the coach at that point unless it's just obviously terrible play calling. Uh, what we saw last year, they, they they built a foundation that you can win with, with power running, controlling the ball, and trying to play good defense. And as bad as our secondary was, you know, we still played pretty good defense. This year, I don't know if we've answered the secondary question, but I think we're going to be looking at, and we're going to touch on this a little bit later on, it's a more explosive offense and more options. I just I can't see us losing the the three or four wins it would take for us to consider replacing Malarkey. And really, I don't know that that would do it. I mean, unless we just just get destroyed all season and he pulls a uh, a whiz and just refuses to protect Marcus or something, I don't, I don't can't see a situation in which we fire him this coming season. Yeah, I mean, I think people forget that we're just two years removed from you know three wins in a season, and and the year before that, two wins in a season. Mike Malarkey in his first year did an excellent job. At the beginning of the season, I thought this team was a six win team. Uh, you know, nine wins, it's a big jump. You know, when you're talking about just a 16-game uh, season, that is a huge jump to make three games up. I think if we stay in that area, even if we regress a little bit, that Malarkey may, might put him on a hotter seat. I wouldn't even say hot seat, uh, but definitely a hotter seat than what he is now, but I don't think that that's enough to fire him. I think, just like Glenn said, it would have to be abysmal. I mean, we're talking... Maybe four wins, maybe five wins, something like that. I mean, it would depend on the circumstance as well. You know, if Marcus goes down week one, like, you know, God forbid, we we hope it doesn't happen. But if it happens, he goes down week one, he's out for the season, and you have a bad season, then, you know, you lost a key part of your team. You know, it's he's going to have a lot more leeway. But if we're healthy throughout most of the season or, or all of the season – and we come up with four wins, you know, five wins. There's no excuse for that. At that point, I think you might start looking for a new coach. Uh, but in his first season, Mark Malarkey took a three-win team and with the help of John Robinson turned it in 
to a non-win team that was in playoff contention until after week 16. You know, that was, it was huge. I mean, that's a huge jump to make. I think this team's obviously going to get better. We we added some pieces where we needed to. You know, we, we're going to be a better team this year than we were last year. I don't think this is going to be a problem. And you also look at how Mike Malarkey has really energized this team. We saw it when he took over as the interim coach. It was a completely different mindset. You know, in the week before he was the head coach, and the week after, and we've seen it all along. He really fires up, energizes this team. I mean, he's a great motivator, and we see that out of him, and we've seen that out of him last year, and we're going to continue to see it. And I don't think it's going to really be a problem because I don't think it will fall at all. I think we keep progressing forward. But if we lose, I'll, I'll say five games and under. If we go five games and under, I think you start looking at firing Mark Malarkey. But Anything short of that, and even five games, I think, is hard for me to say, but four and under, definitely. Even then, though, it it, it would be circumstantial. If you had a really unlucky season injury-wise, you could probably still let that slide. He's done a great job so far. I don't want to see him lose his job because uh, I like Mike Malarkey. He's won me over. Yeah, you know, my thing is, is the way they played last season, he he had to have been under consideration for possibly being you know coach of the year for the turnaround that he made and people just forget that you know that, that, that they're so eager to replace him with a bigger name coach and somebody who's you know a, se- a sexier name in the business but I, I wouldn't look for Malarkey to go anywhere anytime real soon I, I think he's going to be our coach for a while and people just should probably just get comfortable with that until he screws up you know I don't see any way. That, like, like we said, unless the team just completely bails on him, that there's any way they replace him. Absolutely. This team has his back. You know, you can tell the locker room is a completely different place. This is the healthiest locker room that we've had in a long time, and it has to do with Mike Malarkey. But this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, so you know there is definitely a possibility there. If you bomb the season, then there's definitely a possibility of you losing your job. Let's move on to the next one here, Glenn. Sean Sullivan asks, Do you think Dick LeBeau will return after this season? And if so, how much longer do you think he coaches? Man, that's like the million-dollar question. Uh, I think if he's anywhere, he'll be back here. Uh, I don't have any question about that part of it. I don't know beyond uh, beyond that what he's going to be uh, looking to do, though. I can't, I can't see him going anywhere else, so that part's covered. I don't know if he's coming back next year or not. It just It's all going to depend on his health, I think, is going to be the big question. If he hits a point where he just physically needs this walk away, he'll walk away. But until then, I can't imagine that he ends up you know, walking away from this team. Yeah, the real question, I think, is, is when does Dick LeBeau kick the bucket? Because I just don't see the guy not coaching. Also, like um, Glenn said, it's going to be with Tennessee. He's a guy that sticks around. He likes to be in one place for a while. He spent his entire playing career with the Lions, you know, and then he spent a long time, 10 years, which is a long time in this league, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's going to spend the rest of his career with the Titans, I believe, at least on, like, the pro level. Maybe he takes a job that's a lot easier at a lower level. But that's what I think you're going to see from him. And, and really, you're, I think you're predicting his death because I think Dick LeBeau coaches until, you know, he has nothing left to coach. The, the guy's ancient already, but he loves the game. You know, you you talk to him and you see in interviews 
where he says, I'm not ready to hang it up, I haven't thought about it yet, and, and stuff like that. You can just tell by listening to him and, and hearing what he has to say that he has no intention of of retirement. It just doesn't seem like... He doesn't seem like one of those guys that, that's ever just going to you know unwind on the golf course and set around the house. He wants to be out there on the field. He wants to coach. So I think it's going to be... It's a timetable just guessing when Dick LeBeau's going to kick the bucket. Until then, he's going to be the coach. He's going to be with the Titans. And obviously, we're not hoping he kicks the bucket anytime soon. <laughs> no, I, I firmly believe that Dick LeBeau will outlive us all. <laughs> oh, entirely possible. After all the, the uh, atomic bombs go off, it's going to be the cockroaches and Dick LeBeau. <laughs> and he'll figure out a way to coach them. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. They have the all-cockroach league, and they'll be out there kicking some ass. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, next question here from Josh Ebel. Do you think this is potentially the most explosive offense since the Titans moved to Nashville? Man, it's we, we can't answer this kind of question until we actually see these rookies play. Uh, that's, that's really what this comes down to. I mean, th- these questions where you know people are already asking you know, what's going to be the case with you know th- these receivers and these rookies and. Until we actually see them on the field, you can't say you know one way or the other. I've already seen people saying this is the best wide receiver you know core depth chart that we've had since we moved here, and you know what are you basing it on other than their draft status? Uh, just let's see what happens with it. I'd like to think it is. With, with our running game, there's the situation is certainly there for us to um, for us to be the most explosive offense because we already have that. That ground dominance, you know, people already consider us the bully. So if we can start unleashing the offense and throwing deep on them, and you know, mixing more pass plays and more styles of offense in there, I think that this could definitely be the case that we could see the the start of the great offense from Tennessee. But we have to wait and see how these guys play out. You know, they are still rookies. If if they catch 700 yards this year, that's a really good rookie season. You know, you're talking Randy Moss territory when you start talking over a thousand yards for your rookie season. That doesn't happen very often. So let's wait and see. Let's at least see the uh, the, the preseason practices and games before we start talking about the greatest ever. Uh, you know, Steve McNair had some pretty good seasons here, but I think the potential is there. I would 100% agree with that. I I think that potentially, yes, this could be the most potent offense that the Titans have ever had, you know, since they've been the Titans. You know, but you bring up some great points here. We don't know a lot about Corey Davis other than he was drafted real early. And he's a small school guy. He had really good stats coming out of college. But he's he's a still, you know, unproven. He's a rookie. You know, uh, Taewon Taylor's the same way. But you have the potential there. Does Marcus have the potential to be the best quarterback in Titans history only? Absolutely. Uh, you know, does Murray have the potential to be better than Eddie George, who I would think right now is currently the best Titans running back? I think so. I mean, it should be tough. I mean, obviously, you're talking about you know McNair and Eddie George. You know, Corey Davis doesn't have nearly as much competition, you know, to be the best Titans receiver uh, of all time so far, but... Those are tough names to live up to, but potentially could it happen? Absolutely. You know, those guys have the talent to do it. If this offensive line keeps playing like they do, if Murray, you know, stays younger than his age implies, you know, if 
Marcus keeps developing, then yeah, absolutely. Like, there's no question that that can happen. But we still have to see a lot left to see of what Corey Davis actually does. He hasn't even taken a snap yet. Taewon Taylor hasn't taken a snap yet as a pro. But yeah, the, the potential's there for this to be an, an incredibly explosive offense. If Corey Davis is what he is promised, if Taewon Taylor can take over as a slot receiver and really be uh, a weapon on offense, I mean, and Marcus keeps developing and DeMarco Murray you know, stays healthy and stays younger than his age, then this has the potential to be, you know, a very, very dangerous team, very dangerous offense to play. And moving on here, Glenn, to the last question. This is from the friend of the show, Tyler Musson. After his injury, do you think we see less scrambling from Marcus Mariota? I don't think this is the injury that makes him stop running. Obviously, he didn't get hurt on a scrambling play, so that's not what this injury was about. And, you know, Tyler mentioned said as much. It wasn't about him scrambling is why he got hurt. It's just I don't think that's the issue. I think what they're trying to do is make it so that he doesn't have to scramble as much. By giving him a better offense, you know, he won't need to make those plays on his own all the time. And so maybe we don't see him scramble as much, but I don't think it has anything to do with the injury. Yeah, for me this was had like two parts to it is – we saw him get injured twice. Now, not nearly as serious injuries, but we saw him be injured twice in his rookie year. He had 2.8 rushes per game. And then the following year comes out and has four rushes per game. So it's a significant increase, you know, almost doubling his rushing output. He played in two and a half more games in 2016 too, so it's, you know, a little bit more wear and tear with those runs and still kept the average above four Obviously, none of his injuries have come running. All of them have come in the pocket. So I don't think that really worries you that much. He's smart about getting down. He's smart about getting out. He doesn't take huge hits in the open field. Even when he's hit, he finds good angles to be hit at, which you know it's really smart quarterbacks do, especially quarterbacks that take off running. He doesn't take big open field hits. We don't see Marcus do that very often at all. So I don't think you're going to see him shy away from the run, but you know we're also adding two wide receivers taken in the first three rounds, one wide receiver taken in the first five picks. You know we're we're getting better on offense. I think that mixed with Mariota's decision making, just getting better as he matures, you'll see him not need to run as much. You know, not need to scramble as much because he'll get to that. You know, third read faster when he's that receiver's still open, or you know, Corey Davis is gonna be a better player. Hopefully, you know, we're, as promised, and and that'll make it easier to find him open. And yeah, I think that you'll see him scramble less. But just like Glenn said, I don't think it'll be injury related. All right, guys, that's all we have for the mailbag. As always, you can find the mailbag on our Facebook page, Two Tone Uncensored or on the Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook fan page. Next, let's jump into the news. Only one piece of news, really slow in this time of the year, but the Titans offensive line and Marcus Mariota have been seen at the Predators games, uh, supporting the Nashville Predators as they make a Stanley Cup run. My favorite part of this, Glenn, is there's a video, and you can see the entire offensive line just pounding beers before the game started, getting all of the fans excited and and pumping them up ready for the game. Obviously, pretty cool to see your offensive line out there being loose like that, but also, you know, being smart, not 
doing anything crazy, but you know, getting involved in the in the other local pro teams and stuff like that, and getting the fans amped up like that, pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's good to see the uh, players out, you know, in in the public, being a part of the community. I, I think it's going to help bring more fans to the stadium because that's been kind of the deal that we've had is lack of fan support at the stadium has been just it's kind of mystifying why it's so bad. We don't sell out like you would expect us to, even when we started winning games last season. So I'm, I'm really hoping that you know th- this is part of being a better part of the community, and I'm hoping it has an impact as far as home field advantage goes because Nat- Nashville is a destination city. That's a big reason why we don't have as many sellouts because fans from other teams do absolutely buy tickets and uh, come to our games. And Hopefully the, uh, the the players getting out there and being involved in something that the local fans care about, you know, with, with the Predators, that, that will help bring more fans to the games too. Absolutely. That was my thoughts in this. And Nashville coming together, supporting both the teams, and I think it will get more fans involved. It was cool to see those guys, you know, pound those beers. Although I have to say to Lawan, you know, he missed most of his mouth <laughs> with that beer. He had a lot more <laughs> running down his chest than he did in his mouth. But, but it was cool to see. Um, for anybody who's interested, right now as we're recording the show here on Monday night, Game Six is on right now. So we'll see what happens there. But the series three-two with the Predators in the with the advantage. So hopefully. You know, by the time this comes out, the Predators have already clinched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals, and we'll be rooting them for them on their way there. And for those who didn't catch it, the Predators did win and clinch the series. They'll be heading to the Stanley Cup Finals, so good luck to the Predators as they try to lift the cup this year. But that's all we have for the news this week. When we come back, we are going to do our first position breakdown of the offseason, starting off with quarterbacks. So we'll get you all up to date on all the quarterbacks on this roster when we come right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk with crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Atcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. 
You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. All right, we're back from that quick commercial break. Let's jump right into the first position breakdown of the year, starting with quarterbacks. The first one that we're going to talk about, obviously, our starter, third-year pro at 23 years old, Marcus Mariota. Coming off a really good season here, Glenn. He went 26-9 and TD interceptions, completed 61% of his passes, threw for over 3,400 yards. Uh, the big question being about his injury and they're saying that he should be back pretty soon and will participate in OTAs in a limited capacity. So what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, the the injury that took him out just being a broken bone, not not a bunch of ligament damage and stuff like that. I'm glad that he's going to be back on the field. I don't want them to rush him back in there. We know he can play, so I'm not worried about that part of it. I do want him to get on the field early enough to develop some uh, chemistry with his new wide receivers because – like we were talking about just a little bit ago, if we're going to have this new offense and it's supposed to be explosive and completely different from last year, he's got to get that time in. But he's had all off season to work on this, so I, I'm I'm happy he's back on the field. I'm not at all worried about him. No, I mean you know what kind of work ethic Marcus came in with and continues to have. When he was you know down with his knee injury, I'm sure he spent a lot of time in the film room. When you're hurt like that. There's only one really thing that you can work out, and that's your mind. And, you know, go through that film room. Find things that you didn't see before. Find where you're making mistakes. You know, you're releasing the ball a little bit too late on a certain route or whatever, and really work on those kind of intricacies. Um, I did see that Malarkey said, and this is a quote from him, we're going to do some things that he's going to be able to do, or sorry, that he's going to be able to practice. Do some things that aren't, going to subject him to being at risk we may do way more seven on sevens than we've ever done things like that to try to help him out so obviously malarkey's trying to slowly bring you know marcus back in not trying to re-aggravate the injury not trying to put him in any kind of risk the seven on sevens i think would be perfect for him um, as good as that offense was last year might as well have been seven on seven for marcus most of the time and get them out there really seeing the routes, seeing defenses, how they're going to play a lot of these balls and that kind of stuff. And just putting all of that stuff that you did in the film room into execution and starting to you know move forward. And then getting these young guys used to catching balls from Marcus and, and building that chemistry that's going to be important as, as these young receivers grow with our young quarterback. But I'm absolutely not worried about it. I know the kind of work ethic this kid has. And it's one of the reasons, you know, that even though when they drafted Marcus, I was a little unsure about the pick, and it, but it had nothing to do with the intangibles. Obviously, those were all there and, and continue to be there. He's an absolute professional, and, and that's exactly what you like to see. One thing I found interesting, though, when I was looking up stuff, um, Glenn, was Marcus was a three-star recruit coming out of high school. And it just seems so weird, you know, going into Oregon – Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, second overall pick in the draft, and he's been you know phenomenal in his first two years. Three-star recruit out of high school. I just found that kind of interesting that he went from there to where he is now. Yeah, I, the, the star system's always been crap. doesn't really shock me any. 
that star system doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, one thing I saw a lot of that was guys going to the University of Texas and never getting any better. You know, they they were big, they were physical, but they weren't very smart. They they, they didn't get coached up, and that was always a thing uh, with Marcus. You know, when you watched him play in college, he got better and better. And he was so smart at keeping his eyes up and, you know, always looking ahead on the field. When the, when the debate was going on about whether it should be him or uh, Jameis Winston, if you watched both those guys on the run, when Winston ran, he was looking for where the hits were coming from and what he was going to have to do to deal with, you know, getting a few more yards. Marcus was always looking for that opportunity to throw the ball and, uh, you know, make a play downfield. That, that was his concern. And that's what you want out of your quarterback. So a three-star recruit, I've never been impressed by all that because great players can come from anywhere. Yeah, it's awesome if you can get you know, all five stars. It means you're probably going to be okay. But it's about teamwork and intelligence and you know how well a coach can teach his players to play. I 100% agree with you there. Um, from what you know, I've noticed personally and, and watching scouts, the star system, I'd agree, is definitely flawed it. It's size, speed, and production, but that doesn't account for everything. You know, a guy can be not as productive, but it's all system-based. You know, you have a guy in a wide-open offense that gets to throw the ball 100 times a game. Obviously, even if he's not nearly as good, he's going to be way more productive than a guy that that's more in a rushing offense. You know, a guy that has to hand the ball off 20-plus times a game. That kind of stuff, they don't. It doesn't take an effect. A lot of intelligence it doesn't have any hold any bar in the star system at all. It's definitely a flawed system. I just found it interesting um, coming out of the three star recruit. Uh, um, you know, amazing, outstanding college career so far. Pretty spectacular pro career. And one more thing I wanted to talk about with Marcus before he moved on is in the red zone. I mean, there. Statistically, is no quarterback that is his equal when he only has 20 or less yards to go. When he gets there, a killer instinct takes over. And I know you remember, um, Glenn, before Marcus was here, that is where we struggled mightily. It seemed like we would get the ball, you know, in that the first 80 yards, first 60 yards, first whatever of the drive were easy, and then we'd get into the, the red zone and we'd stall. And it seemed like terrible we'd stall every single time when we got inside the 20 and then all of a sudden with Marcus Mariota if you get there we're scoring it's almost you know it's almost a guarantee has not yet has yet to throw an interception in the red zone all touchdown I mean he just looks brilliant when he gets there. there's a killer instinct when he gets close to the red or close to the end zone absolutely and you know part of it is is people are scared to death of him taking off and running when he's in that in that short area like that when the field gets short so that always helps, but he makes just great decisions. He, his thing in college was he took really good care of the ball, and he just he does that better than anybody else in the league right now. When when he's down to that last twenty yards, absolutely. Let's move on here to our backup, Matt Castle, thirty-five years young. He's been in the league for thirteen years. Last year. We didn't get to see him a whole lot, uh, but he did start one game, obviously, the last of the season and came away with a W. 58% completion percentage. He had two touchdowns, two interceptions, 284 yards passing the ball. 
Madcast, so I've already you know said on the show about how I feel about him being our backup. I'd like to see us try to upgrade. But with that being said, Matt Castle wasn't terrible when we brought him in. He was workable. We did win the one game that he started. And the other game that he came in, we were already losing so bad that it would take a miraculous comeback to win it anyway. So you really can't put that on Matt Castle's shoulders. What do you think about Matt Castle heading into this year? I thought going into the offseason was an opportunity to upgrade at that position. Uh, it's the second, the second string quarterback. You don't expect to see much of him, but as you saw, he did have to come in, and we were already losing, and it wasn't going to be even kind of a close game. Mar- Marcus getting hurt had absolutely nothing to do with why we lost that game against the Jaguars. The team didn't show up to play, and you know th- they got their asses handed to them, and they probably learned a lot about how, how you have to stay focused when you're winning. But at the same time, I thought Castle was a position we could have upgraded at. He, he never, He's never impressed me. Uh, he had one really good season here, one okay season there. He's a guy that he begs to be upgraded, but what do you do to upgrade him? Uh, there's very few free agent quarterbacks out there that would be any better than him. A guy that we've talked about on this show a couple times, like Colin Kaepernick, I think is a better quarterback than Matt Castle, but I don't think Colin Kaepernick wants to take Matt Castle backup money. So even if we were interested in bringing him here, I don't think he wants to be the backup especially to a guy like Marcus where he has no chance at ever being the starter. It's never going to be his team. I think he's looking for a spot you know, where he can try to work his way into a starter spot. So if you can't get anybody better to come in here and be his backup, Matt Castle's probably the right kind of guy for that. He's a team player. He, he's competent but not good. But that's okay because you don't expect to see him very much. I mean, he only played in four games. He only started one, and that's about what you wanted from him. Uh, his main job is to be here, mentor Marcus, you know, offer what advice he can, and be a leader in the locker room and a leader in the uh, quarterbacks room. You brought up one of the name, uh, names I was going to talk about. Um, I, I like Matt Castle a little bit. Uh, you know, he's had some a rocky past a little bit. He, making the bonehead decision two years ago that got him pushed off of a team. Um, for showing up late to a team meeting. That's just not something you do when you've been in the league for 11 years. And Matt just never really impressed me with the intangible side of the game. Not to say that he had major red flags. just seemed like boneheaded decisions that he made uh, without major consequences. I just I don't look at him as a leader, kind of a, like a guy like I do with Marcus. He's a silent guy, but he's a leader. You can see it. Uh, I would like to see this position be upgraded. And you brought up one of the names, like I said, that I was uh, that I've heard a lot of people talk about Kaepernick being one, RG three being the other, of a guy that we could bring in. The big question with these two is: Will they take the pay cut? Will they be willing to be backups? I think RG three is in a position right now where he really can't argue for a starting spot because he hasn't proved that he can keep a starting spot or that he's worthy of a starting spot. But would that be a guy that you'd be interested in bringing in if we could get him down to that price point? Man, probably not because I wouldn't ever want him to come on the field. Uh, I saw a lot of RG3 in college, and we we saw that that one season in the pros, he, he was a really good player. And then after that, the league figured him out, and he didn't have much for us. Compared to Matt Castle, I guess I'd bring him in, but that's probably about the only way. Right. You look at their statistics. Um, 
RG3 is a little more accurate than Castle. Throws for more yards. Uh, you know, a little bit more of an interception hazard than Castle, but also scores more often. So he's a little bit better of a player, but the really the big thing would be the price point that you'd bring in. I don't want to spend, you know, a ton on a backup when you have a surefire number one quarterback like that. You know, we'll see. I would like to see Matt Castle be upgraded. Obviously, at 35 years old and the talent level that he has, we're not going to see a lot more of Matt Castle. This is could this season could even be his last year as a Titan. We're going to see someone, you know, draft somebody or sign somebody, one of those names that kind of pops around everywhere, like the McCowns or, or someone like that, that can come in, be a solid backup um, without costing you too much. That's what we're going to see because at 35 years old, you know, Matt Castle is really close to to being at that age where, and especially at his skill level, where nobody's going to want him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's at the end of his rope. This will probably be his last season with us. I think they would have to address it at some point as far as the backup quarterback spot goes. But, you know, it, we, we've got to see Marcus play a full season, too. Just the, the quarterback spot, it's Marcus's until proven otherwise. He does need to show that the backup quarterback doesn't need to be somebody more important. The, I think the idea with Matt Castle is that Marcus isn't coming off the field, so it doesn't matter. But I, I call him Kaepernick, maybe an RG3, so, someone younger who's got some more years left on him that you can come in and move, move the ball when needed. But uh, between Kaepernick and RG3, I think I would rather have Kaepernick. He's shown more ability as a quarterback uh, of those two guys. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I'd rather have Kaepernick than, than RG3. Um, I just think Kaepernick is not as... Uh, how would I put this? Um, not as much of a real prospect for us, just because I don't think that Kaepernick wants to go into a situation as a backup. I don't think Kaepernick wants to take that big of a pay cut. Uh, where I think that RG3 now has to look, he is a backup, or he might find himself out of the league. There's nobody, no teams out there that are going to be desperate enough to take a chance on you as their starter. You know, especially with every year, next year's draft class looks like it's going to be quarterback heavy. Uh, you know, you have to have to start taking that into effect. You need to find a good spot where you can be a backup. I think that that's RG3's market right now. So I think it's a little bit more realistic for RG3 over Kaepernick, but I'd definitely take Kaepernick over RG3 if I had the choice. Yeah, I don't think that uh, Amy Adams has any interest in Kaepernick either. So RG3 is probably the more realistic option. Is he... A better backup than uh, Matt Castle? Yeah, probably. But I wouldn't want him to be in the game anymore either, so it would still leave me questioning that secondary uh, backup quarterback role because I don't think he can come in and teach Marcus anything. Um, I, I think Marcus being a better quarterback you know, day one than uh, RG3, and RG3's experience in the league having been mostly negative other than that one season, I, I don't feel like he would come in and give anything to the roster by him being here. By the way, I'm excited because after this season, I made a bet when um, Andrew Luck and RG3 came in with a good friend of mine who is a, a big Baylor supporter that Andrew Luck would be a better quarterback than RG3, and we gave it a certain amount of years, and this after this season it's up. 
to see who's the better quarterback. So I'm obviously winning this bet. <laughs> so just on a personal note, pretty excited about that. But let's move on here to Alex Tanney. This is a guy that really has been kind of a fan favorite. He hasn't gotten to see much time on the field. But it seems like everybody's always calling for him to be over Castle, trying to see a little bit more of Tanny on the field. Last year, he got to see a little bit of time, and from what we saw, I mean, he was impressive. 71% completion percentage, one touchdown, no interceptions, 99 yards. He had a good average. Uh, you know, in his college days at Monmouth, he set a lot of records. He was a good quarterback there at a very small school. Now he's going into his sixth year as a pro at 29 years old. What do you think about Tanny? Tanny's another one of those examples of this fan base just loving the underdog. Um, yeah, he, he's got some ability. You know, his trick shot videos, which is largely what got his you know name spread around the league, where people were interested in him. Those were pretty cool. But he's just there, there's nothing about Tanny that makes me think he's going to have any real time on this team. I think he's probably about ready to be gone too. Uh, they'll probably move him back to the practice squad after the season like we did last year. And just, you know, he, he does not enough left, not enough time left for Kenny. He's, he's what, 29 already? Yeah, 29. Yeah, so if you're 29 years old and you're third-string backup guy, it's it's been a nice career, but I don't see him breaking that barrier and, you know, becoming the second-string guy even. If you're 29 years old and 99 yards is your most productive career or your most productive year in your career as a quarterback, yeah, you're you're pretty much done. I like Alex Tanya. Those videos, like you mentioned, are awesome. If you haven't seen them, uh, we'll probably put a we'll put a link up on our Facebook page, maybe to fi- go find some of those trick shots that Tanya put up. They're really cool. They're I mean they're cool to watch. It's really impressive, uh, but. He's everybody gets all excited about him. There's a reason why he's the third stringer. Matt Castle starts over him. Uh, he doesn't have a very strong arm. I mean, exactly. he, he can make trick shots, but he's not as accurate in the actual play of the game. He he, he can't fit the ball in the tight spaces. He's he's not a commanding presence back there. Right. I mean, you you look back at his tape at Monmouth. Um, what little tape you can find of of his playing days? He had weapons. You know, they ran bubble screens, and he'd throw the ball like literally 11 yards uh, across and upfield, and then that guy would take it 88 yards. You know, that's it wasn't like he was throwing bombs all the time. He just had wide receivers that were, you know, pretty decent at making plays after the catch. They had an offense that was kind of, you know, spread wide open, so he could make short passes that went for big gains. And he, he's good in the short game. He is a good short passing quarterback. Um, the problem is, is he's not a good long passing quarterback, and he's not even a good mid-level throwing quarterback. You know, you can get away with not having the bomb if you're good at short and mid-range. You can get away with not being good at long range and not good at mid-range. That only leaves a short passing game that's too easy for defenses to shut down, you know, too easy for the opposition to gain a big advantage. That's why Alex Taney, I don't think, is going to have much success. I think... You might see. I actually, I, I do think that this is probably one of his last years. The Titans. You might see him back next year. Maybe if Matt Castle retires or goes somewhere else, we bring in a new guy to bring up back up. We might keep Tanny around for another year as a uh, third stringer. But I think 
in two years, there's no question. Alex Stanny, I think, is is out of the Tennessee Titans organization, maybe out of the league. Yeah, I thought it was interesting last season they brought him back on. You know, they he was the guy that they fully guaranteed his salary because another team was looking at him. They wanted to keep him around, and I just I, I get it. You know, if he's he knows your system, he's a guy you could bring in and run the short. You know, not not like you said, not not even really intermediate passing game, but the short passing game. He can come in and be functional for you. I, I don't get why he gets the amount of love that he gets, though. Just he's never had a chance. Okay, he's never been able to prove anything in you know even preseason that would make you think that this is going to be a guy who can come into a, a live game situation and be productive for you. And people point to his preseason stats all the time. And, and by the time that Tanny gets in, I mean, you know this. By the time he gets in, he's facing third stringers. He's facing, at best, second stringers. He's not facing starters anymore. Yeah, he's facing the Alex Tanny's of the defense. Exactly. exactly. Great, way, great way to put that. He's facing the Tanny's of the defense. You know, he's against that competition, he's not bad. When you put him in live game situations over a season, he was good last year. End the regular season at the end of games, he had you know he had decent stats at the end of the year, but that's a very short segment. You you know put that over a season if Alex Tanny had a lot of time, it's not going to be impressive. There is a reason why he's under um, Matt Castle, and that's what I was going to ask you. How close do you think the gap between Castle and Tanny is? And do you think that Tanny puts any pressure on Matt Castle in um, training camp? No, I, I don't think it's close at all. Uh, just he he doesn't have anything that he does well enough to put pressure on Matt Castle to be a better player. Uh, it, there's just there's no competition back there, and I think that the Titans would agree with you if you you know got them you know in a bar at night and asked them that question. Uh, this just you know what does he do better than anybody else in the roster? And you know other than YouTube videos, nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, Matt Castle does do some things well. He can get the ball down the field over the top. Not better than anybody, but probably um, better than uh, any better than anybody that, that we have, obviously, outside of Marcus. He's, he is a better quarterback. I don't think it's that close of a window. I don't think Taney, unless Taney comes out, as a revitalized, he's added a lot of new weapons to his arsenal. He's better in the mid-range. But the thing is, is that transition doesn't happen at 28, 29 years old. That tra- transition happens at 24, 25 years old. At 29, you know, you're kind of getting to that point where you don't teach old dogs new tricks. And, and I doubt you see him put very much pressure, if any, on Matt Castle for the backup job. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's been a nice career, but it's all he's ever going to be is a backup guy. Absolutely. So let's head here to the last quarterback on our list, a guy that we picked up through UDFAs, Tyler Ferguson. This is an interesting one uh, for a couple of reasons. First, Ferguson didn't start in college. He was Mike White's backup at Western Kentucky. But his path to Western Kentucky uh, I was researching him today. I found really interesting. So I'm going to lay it out here. You know, you might need to write it down. You might need to get a pencil or paper because this gets a little confusing. So he signs his commitment letter to Houston in college. Decommits from Houston after Penn State sends him um, their interest. So he commits to Penn State. 
goes to uh, Penn State, and it had a really, at the time, it was a really tight battle uh, between him and Christian Hackenberg. Uh, but he ends up losing. Hackenberg was younger than him, so he knew he would just sit behind Hackenberg for a couple years. So he decided to transfer out. He goes to Louisville and takes his year where he has to set out at Louisville. Then, at the end of that, uh, you know, Louisville has a guy come up, a Heisman Trophy winner at this point now. He can't start there. So he transfers to Western Kentucky and then ends up being Mike White's backup. Just kind of a, you know... Nothing really worked out for Tyler Ferguson in college. Completed 46% of his passes when he did play this year for 234 yards. The one bright spot, though, three touchdowns, no interceptions. So we're getting a guy here that's bounced around a bunch of different places in college. Never really found uh, you know, a place where he could actually start and show what he had. But he's also gotten beat by guys that are now in the league that, you know, like Hackenberg, that hasn't been really impressive so far in his career. Yeah, that was the thing about him that, you know, when Christian Hackenberger beat him out, and that's when he was still, you know, young and kind of raw, that was a bad sign whenever Hackenberg got in the league and he's with the Jets and they just keep drafting quarterbacks because they can't find anybody who can play. It tells you kind of that this is a camp body. He won't be around very long. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. Um, the one other interesting storyline to bring up is obviously being Western Kentucky. If that sounds familiar, that is where our wide receiver we got in the third round, Taewon Taylor, out of Western Kentucky. So reuniting for them, uh, kind of an interesting storyline, but this guy's not going to be here for very long. Just like Glenn said, this is a camp body kind of type of guy. The only reason he stays, the only way he stays, is if somehow he plays better or really close to Alex Taney. Because Alex Taney is obviously a six-year pro, he's earning that veteran minimum. Ferguson uh, would earn UDFA minimum, which is a significant loss. So if he plays really close in training camp to Alex Taney, then he has a chance to stay, uh, and Alex Taney would find his way off. The likelihood of that, though, we're talking about a guy in Alex Taney who went to a really small school and set records left, right, and center, and Ferguson, a guy who went to three different bigger schools uh, but was never more than a backup, yeah, I, I don't think we see Tyler Ferguson for very long. I wouldn't get used to hearing his name. He could come in and beat out Alex Tanny because we don't know anything about him. We have no idea what kind of arm he has. Uh, we, we just we don't know anything about this guy, so sure, why not? Uh, bring him in, let him have a look around and see if he can do anything. And it could be interesting to see if all of a sudden, you know, this guy that nobody knows comes on there and makes the third string quarterback or something like that. But that's about all he's looking for. He, he's looking for a chance to knock off Tanny, who's pretty much at the end of his career and hasn't done anything either. Uh, just, you know, I don't think he makes it. I don't think that's what happens. But it, it could be interesting if that did. Absolutely. I mean, two points I want to make real quick. You talked about it. He beat out Christian Hackenberg, but that was Christian Hackenberg as a true freshman. You know, it wasn't the refined quarterback that we saw later in his career uh, at Penn State. Another point here, and just to go back to an earlier comment, Glenn, kind of proves your point that you were bringing up about the Stars system in, in high school. Tyler Ferguson was a three-star recruit. 
coming out of high school, just like Marcus Mariota, and we saw how their two stories unfolded. So, yeah, it definitely gives pause, uh, or it gives you something to think about, going back to Glenn's comment that the star system's definitely flawed. Yeah, if, you know, if at, and coming out of high school, this was the same guy as Marcus, basically. You know, he had the same talent level, same ceiling. Probably there's something wrong with that system. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Uh, but that's about all we have for the quarterback breakdown. Um, obviously, we'll be coming up with some more interesting ones here later in the year. We're going to go through about the same order we did last year, going into running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, then the offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, and secondary. Um, also, we're going to throw in some stuff. We're, we're reaching out for interviews with some guys right now, stuff to look forward to, different show ideas that we've been coming up with. So stay tuned. Definitely hear that. That'll be throughout the off season. And be sure to check out these shirt designs, guys, that we were telling you about earlier. If, you want, if you're interested in ordering a shirt, You'll be able to find the post. We're going to put them on our Facebook page, on our Twitter. I'm sure they'll also pop up on Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook fan page. Uh, so definitely check those out and order your shirts. This is going to be the cheapest these shirts are ever going to be. The price is probably going to be going up after round of ordering. So get those in. Be part of the first 50 to get them and wear those shirts loud and proud. Uh, as always, thanks to you, the fans. And make this show possible. Thanks to my awesome co-hosts, Glenn, with me here tonight, and Matt, who couldn't make it. And tighten up. Tighten up. Podbean. I told Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.